welcome. Thanks for being here and joining us for another episode of The Nonprofit Show. We're thrilled to have you back for another Monday, or as I've been referring to it as Mun-yay, because Friday gets all the fun and Monday kind of gets the womp-womp. But today we have Brianna Klink with us. (laughs) Brianna is the COO of Abeja Solutions to talk to us about reducing cost and maxing or maximizing really your mail ROI. So we want to max that out. We want to get the most of our return on investment. So before we get into the conversation, we, of course, want to give a shout out to Julia Patrick, who's still enjoying some much time off. Julia is the CEO of the American Nonprofit Academy. I'm Jarrett Ransom, your nonprofit nerd, CEO of the Raven Group. Honored to serve alongside Julia as the co-host of the nonprofit This week, we celebrate our 600th episode. So for those of you that have been joining us and you've heard us talk about it, you know, 600, 600, 600, we are almost there. So we are so very proud to have our presenting sponsors support us each and every day. So let me give a verbal shout out to those sponsors. That would be Bloomerang, American Nonprofit Academy, Fundraising Academy with the National University, Nonprofit Nerd, Your Part-Time Controller, Staffing Boutique, and The Nonprofit Thought Leader. These companies literally have been with us many from the very beginning, but they allow us to have these unscripted, casual conversations with our guests. If you missed any of our episodes or you are going to love what Brianna shares, I have a feeling you will, you could uh, replay us anywhere that you stream your um entertainment. So we're also on Roku, YouTube, Amazon Fire TV, Vimeo, and podcasts. So if you're a podcast listener, go ahead and cue us up wherever you stream your podcast. So I, I've put you on the pedestal, Brianna. I've said how amazing and smart you are. I truly <laughs> believe it. <laughs> we also have your business partner, Laura Ingalls, joining us um, in a couple of weeks later this month. But I just want to say welcome and thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. It's delightful. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about Abeja, and um, I'm so proud that I've learned how to properly pronounce the name, <laughs> but I haven't always, right? So, so tell us a little bit you about this formed. Yes, so Abeja means bee, you know, the bumblebees in Spanish, um, and we really hope to be the worker bees for your nonprofit, specifically around direct mail. We found that it was really difficult for small to medium nonprofits who were doing their mail in-house. They can't afford a full service agency. Um, and so we're really that middle ground to be some uh, short-term you know, help to get one or two appeals out the door or you know, a longer relationship where we manage the donor communications. So very important. And and so today's conversation is really about, you know, maxing that ROI. We want to highest return on investment. But first of all, before we dive into the deep end, I have to ask like the elephant in the room, is direct mail still alive and well, or is it just scaling down now that technology has almost taken over the world? Direct mail is still one of the most successful tactics for raising money. Online giving, according to BlackBot, is only 12% of total giving. Wow. 12%, right? And I know we all love to talk about millennials, but the people that have money to give to your organization are boomers. And they are set to give 6.2 
six trillion with a T dollars in the next, you know, 20 years. And you know what they like? They like getting things in the mail. <laughs> the other thing. Fan. You can just fan it all out. Yeah, yeah. That I didn't practice that at all. I, I really didn't. Um, I'm an improviser. So if I get on the comedy uh, circuit, I'm sorry. Uh, I can't help it. Um, but mail has a sticking power. I have a pile of mail on my dining room table right now. I'm sure someone might uh, feel the same way. Like it, it keeps moving around the house. You know, you bring it in the door and then you're like, oh, I'll deal with it later. And then you like sort it. Like it has a stain power. So it gets in front of donors quite a lot. Um, and in fact, we've talked to tons of clients um, where they get a response device from something 18 months prior from a year prior, right? So it sticks around, unlike the flit, fleeting uh, moments of text messages and email, right? Like you don't see it, you, it's gone. <laughs> well, so, I'm glad to know you two have a pile. Mine is currently on my kitchen island and <laughs> that's where it's been sitting, but probably because it moved from my dining room table onto that kitchen island. So that wasn't the first spot. It was next to the front door and now it's on the dining room table. Yeah, it, it takes its way around. So before we dive deeper, again, I just want to uh, share Brianna's contact information for Abeja Solutions. Uh, those of you listening, that's A-B-E-J-A solutions.com. So make sure you do check out their website. So, okay, you did share with us that mail is still alive and well. People enjoy this, especially a certain demographic. So let's talk about the cost effectiveness. Can mail truly be cost effective? Talk to us about this, Brianna. It can be, absolutely. But as we all know, in some places, the devil is in the details, right? Mm -hmm. So it's very easy to make it expensive. So first thing that I would encourage you to do is start early. If you think you're going to be doing a mail campaign, Call your local printer, the people that always do your mail, call your design team, you know, figure out what format, what the timing is looking like, um, you know, and, and then you can handle problems much easier. Things can go wrong. One of the things that is going wrong industry-wide is the lack of envelopes. Number 10 envelopes, the standard business envelope, impossible. Right. You so bought that, right? Like first it was toilet paper in 2020. Yeah. It's the envelope. Yeah. And I mean, if anyone wants to nerd out about why, it definitely <laughs> I do. Yes. Okay. Too. Okay. Okay. Long story short, because we were all at home, all of the paper suppliers started packet making cardboard boxes for packaging. Other things happened. Shipping industry is uh, under a lot of stress right now. And something about forestry in Finland. It's it's all, we're in a global interconnected world. Um, apparently all of our, our paper pulp comes from Finland. Who knew? Um, but yeah, there's a shortage of paper. So when you're, if you talk to your printer ahead of time and you know, okay, they need eight weeks 
you need 10,000 pieces, you need 2,000 pieces. Of course, if you have a larger quantity, it's going to be harder for you. You can usually find a thousand or 2,000 envelopes. But last holiday season, we had a client wait eight weeks for number 10 envelopes. And so their appeal went out at after the end of the year. Um, And, you know, it was, they didn't start early enough. So start early, get your stories together, get your images, all of those things. And then you're prepared with some cushion when the inevitable problems come up. So quick question. What is that sweet spot of how many appeals we should send a year? Because I'm envisioning if we need to think in advance and we need to get our preparation, yeah. we can probably map out the next 12 to even 18, if not 24 months, if we oh, absolutely. have a steady cadence. Yeah. Um, you know, it really depends on the size of your organization. Uh, but for the most part, you're not asking your donors enough. We in the nonprofit industry feel a little ashamed about asking a lot of times. <laughs> and the the truth of the matter is donors don't start getting annoyed in general. This is according to Tom Ahern until they've had 26 pieces of mail. 26. Right? 26. So I have not met an organization that is doing that yet. You might maybe much larger organizations that are doing lots of acquisition or television commercials, but none of my clients are doing that. Start with once a quarter, right? Or maybe even twice a year and then add two more. Start with what is feasible and and then add from there. Um, But it's certainly reasonable to do four appeals a year. And then you'll want to figure out what's the best time for your, your region, right? Here in Arizona, no one is here in June, July, and August. We just don't ask. So everything, <laughs> like not, no one's here. Um, other, or, you know, if you are a food pantry and you want to do a back to school drive, you know, here, my husband is a teacher. He went back to school uh, this morning for the first day, but in Washington state school doesn't you know, start until after, um, after Labor Day. So, you know, you find your regional uh, cadence, but absolutely end of year, 12% of all giving is in the last three days, the three days of the year. So you definitely want to be asking um, November, December, prime times, absolutely get something in the mail and then figure out whether it's a spring, fall um, and all of that. So back to the uh, to the envelopes, if we're doing something quarterly, should we also be purchasing those envelopes and maybe hoarding them throughout the year? Is that <laughs> cost effective or is that just asinine? It depends. It depends on the quantity that you're looking for. Um, and this is why I say talk to the experts because your printer will say, okay, if you're just doing a thousand at a time, we're going to do those on a digital printer and you don't need to hoard, right? It's four color, all that sort of stuff. If you need 10,000, 20,000 every time, absolutely. You want to talk to your printer about getting a allocation. That's the industry term for those pre-buys. And then you want to discuss whether it makes sense to have um, envelopes converted, 
um, on demand, or if you want to go with, um, like, let me just pull a sample. Uh, this, this organization has a large volume appeal that goes out. And so they converted their, their envelope to actually only two colors, right? It's grayscale and red. But for their smaller appeals, they use their full color logo because this is done on a digital printer and this is offset. And, you know, but you don't need to become an expert in direct mail. Just ask the questions. Like I have a thousand pieces. What's the What's the cheapest, most convenient way to do this? Um, you know, your printers can help you. Your uh, Abeja can help you. Your design agency. But you definitely want someone who knows printing and all of the technical things and how to save money there. So you just went to a super nerdy USPS was oh, a yeah. conference, a training. Uh, tell us about this because you're sharing with us not only how mail can truly be cost effective, but you're going to share with us now more ways or hacks as we have here for saving money. So what did you learn? And and first of all, where did you go? <laughs> talk to uh, yeah. about this. Like what it, what was offered? So mail is a huge business. And USPS annually um, has a, a postal forum. This year it happened to be in Phoenix, so it was super convenient for me. And people that send mail, uh, you know, printers, packagers, uh, marketers were there. So um, I got to nerd out and I became a mail design professional. Um, but here, here's the thing, and this is why I say talk to the experts because. <sighs> I'm not knocking USPS. I love them. They're great. They're fantastic. But the retail employees that at your just standard um, office may not be able to help you with the technical business mail knowledge that you might need for bulk mailings. Because if you go to a business entry mail unit, they're going to look at, they have all of these tools. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. I mean, these like how big the barcode is, how far from the edge a barcode is, how thick a piece is. There are rules on how much flex an envelope should have. So you don't need to be as nerdy as I, uh, I am. I, are you sure? Because it's pretty, effective. <laughs> I really like the nerdiness that's oozing. It's so much fun. I know, like it's, but no one else. I uh, I bored my family to tears. Uh, yeah, once I got this, but you know, there a well qualified printer will have a mail design professional on their staff. Good to know. Yeah, yeah, and and so you know they have the tools to look at your piece and say this will go in the mail, no problem, or hey, you might want to re-examine uh, this design, and here's why. Um, common errors, square pieces cost more in postage. And if you're over an ounce, you're going to pay extra in postage, right? Uh, you either have to put a over oversized, um, what is it, non-machinable surcharge. And this is someone who didn't pay attention to the flex problem, or you end up paying too much for your mailing. First class stamps are 60 cents now. This letter costs $1.20 to send. 
And it could have been cheaper if, if this person actually calculated like with a U.S. postal employee or using the resources on USPS.com. And they could have put a first class stamp and probably some smaller stamps like these one 10 cent, three cent stuff. Um, but for the most part, you want to think about your whole package. How much does it weigh? And the paper that you use, uh, your commercial printer knows what, what weight, you yeah. know, like a standard appeal is going to co cost this much. It's a standard first class. But when you start adding brochures, you might want to reduce the paper weight for the ones that you mail versus the ones that you give out at a event because there they're too heavy. So many variables. I would have never thought as one of the cost effective, you know, uh, tips to save money would be to print on multiple size or weight paper, right? Just what you yeah. said. Maybe you print on a different size for it to go in the mail because apparently there's this flex scale that you just shared with us today. Yeah, but then, your printer knows how to do that or you're, you know, someone who's designing for the mail all the time and digital, um, my brother works in digital uh, and like things that work really well on digital may not translate to, to, um, a print run. Uh, I have some invitations here. Like contrast is a big thing. Um, so one of, it's not a hack so much as it's going to save you money, but it's going to raise you more money. I all don't scrimp on the things that your donors need to read and respond. Right. Because you want a response to that mail piece. Um, this is a lovely invitation, but it's really hard to read because the contrast didn't come across on the print piece. You have to change the, the amount of, um, of uh, light reflection um, between a digital and a mail piece. Anyway, nerding, sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I'm here for it, Brianna. I, I think you're doing fantastic. So what are some other, cause I, we're gonna move into being successful, but give us some more cost-effective, uh, you know, ways to save, you know, what are these hacks that you learn to help yeah. save money? Absolutely. Okay, so postage, you want to get a nonprofit authorization from USPS. I if wondered, you, because I started to interrupt, I, the ones you're holding up, they mostly have the, the actual stamp. Well, cause those were bad examples, but- okay. <laughs> but you know, uh, a nonprofit, yeah. a, a nonprofit uh, authorization allows you to get lower price postage. It's about 17, 14 to 17 cents per piece versus first class, a stamp, 60 cents. 60. First class bulk mail is closer to like 45. But yeah, you'll see a permit imprint on a lot of these pieces. Um, you do have the option to use stamps even with your nonprofit authorization. They're called pre-canceled stamps. Let me see if I have an example here. Yep, this is a pre-canceled stamp. So this costs about 14 or 17 cents. Um, and it just looks a little bit different. But I don't know who's listening. If you're doing your own mail in-house, 
oftentimes doing stamps is the cheapest way because preparing the paperwork for a bulk postage mailing, 200 or more pieces can be fairly onerous. So, but regardless, get that nonprofit authorization and keep it up to date. Start early, right? Check that Um, check that record with USPS and um, USPS has terrible documentation. So if you're unsure how to do that, just shoot a behind email um, and we have documentation for, to fill that gap, but you want to make sure your address is correct. And the name of your organization is correct because it has to appear in a prominent location. And sometimes USPS looks at your piece and says, actually, we're going to charge you first class because you didn't identify yourself here and you don't want to make that mistake. Or you changed your name, right? From one, you had a branding change and then it costs you a lot extra. The other way to save money on postage is clean your data. Clean your data. (laughs) Duplicates, um, you know, incorrect householding. You're not going to be able to fix everything, uh, but it's a constant process right? Just clean as much as you can so that you're getting the right information to the right people. The other thing that you'll do there is try to get rid of the friend unknown. This, it's hard to say, friend unknown. Woo! Getting this in the mail, yikes, right? Am I going to respond to this? Heck no, you don't even care to figure out what my name is, like, or friend unknown, like you put no care into this mailing. Yeah, no care. So, so that moves us into, you know, how do we know when we're being successful? So one of the things I hear you saying is know your donors. And I have to riff off of that as well, because of course, a female named Jarrett, I get often (laughs) friend unknown, but I get Mr. Jarrett Ransom. And I think, wow, they did not take the time to get to know me. What are other ways how we can, you know, when we can say, wow, this mailing was successful. What are the metrics of that, that that Mm -hmm. you know, and maybe nerded out at the USPS conference? (laughs) Well, the first thing you need to know is what is the goal of this piece? Is it a renewal piece? You're just trying to get donors that gave last year to renew their gift. Is it a recapture campaign for deeply lapsed folks? Are you trying to upgrade folks into monthly donors or things like that? There are lots of different goals that you can be going after. And then the metrics that you use, of course, those numbers are going to be different based on your goals. But what I um, recommend people take a look at is first the overall response rate. Industry average for a warm mailing list, so people that have been solicited on an ongoing basis, is about 6 to 9%, depending on whether you're looking at Blackboard's data or fundraising effectiveness project. So 6 to 9%. Are you reaching that goal? Are you increasing that? <laughs> right? You definitely want to have that as the baseline. And then you can break up that response rate Uh, specific to your goal. What was the renewal rate for current donors? What was the recapture rate? What was the acquisition rate of new donors, right? A lot of people have people on their email address list. They haven't given, but they're giving, they're, you know, getting your newsletter. How can we 
acquire those folks? Is that, is that one of your goals? The other thing you want to look at is your, of course, your gross and your net, you know, what did you make from the appeal? What did you net from it? Uh, you know, paper and postage cost money. Right. And then you can, yeah. And then you can calculate your return on investment. And then I, I also recommend the cost to raise a dollar. Um, and you can calculate that through that gross net information too. Um, and then you can start comparing your campaigns over time, right? I can't tell you what good looks like for your organization. Um, if you've been, you know, radio silent for a long time, you probably aren't going to get the high response rates for at least a year. Um, but you have to start stewarding your people. Um, you know, the more you communicate, it, it's very counterintuitive. The more you communicate, the more your donors respond. And the most, the more recent the gift, the more likely they are to give again. Right. Fascinating. So you said that uh, earlier in the show, 26 touches was what um, Tom Ahern had shared. Uh, when, when donors start to notice that you're being slightly annoying, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's when we get tons of mail, right? I'm not, I'm not counting the number of times that Habitat for Humanity, uh, you know, touched, uh, sent me an appeal. I just get appeals, Right. And I like reading the stories. And yeah, according to Tom Ahern, when you get past 26 asks in a year, that's when people start noticing. Your organization may be different, right? We all, Abeja is very data focused. We start with industry data. If you don't have your own, you know, solid stats and then move to setting baselines with your organizations and then adjusting from there. Your mileage may vary, absolutely. Um, but if you don't know what's happening with your donors, then we go with baselines from you know industry data. Yeah, no, that's that's great to know. I just wanted to announce that again. And one final question, uh, Brianna, before we move into sadly the closing of the episode, yeah. uh, it goes by so quickly. Uh, we had talked a little bit in the green room chatter about making, uh, you know, your letter successful for the reader. And I brought mm-hmm. up a question about DEAI, diversity, equity, access, and inclusion, and wonder truly about the ability level of, you know, just, just reading in general. Could you share again briefly, you know, like, is there a certain font size? Is there a certain uh, like educational level that we're looking to write in? Yeah. So, um, we are not our audience. We have to remember that as, as professionals, only half of Americans read at an eighth grade level. So you got to bring it down a lot of notches. I know a lot of folks are writing at 12th or, you know, higher grades because, you know, they're working in uh, legal, you know, justice, legal, um, legal aid. And, but your donors are not you. So we always recommend writing at a sixth grade, fifth to sixth grade level, because okay. that's going to, that's going to make it easier for all of your donors. And that's not to say dumb it down. It just means use smaller words, break up your sentences semicolons. I love a semicolon, but not in a fundraising appeal, right? Put that, put that in 
your, your academic letters. Uh, the font size, right? Uh, I am in my early 40s and I have progressive lenses, right? Ugh. I'm uh, right there with you. Don't worry. <laughs> what is this? How in the world are, am I going to, to respond to this? So uh, we always recommend for your appeals to have a, a pre add as much information as you can for the donor. I don't want to have to fill in my name and address. You sent me a letter. You have it, right? Um, give them, give them, I know the focus is a little off here. Give them some dollar amounts. Make it easy. So it's just filling in a couple check boxes on a form and make it readable, right? The difference, even if you can't do personalization on your appeal, the difference between an a response device like this or like this, white space, at least a 14-point font. Uh, serif fonts are easier for people to read and print. There are some sans serif fonts that break the rules. Um, but in general, uh, sans serif or serif fonts are easier for people to read. Indent your paragraphs. Yeah. That makes it easier for people to read. Add white space. Uh, increase the, the letting and the kerning. And again, a design professional can help you with this. Um, a lot of the terminology is, is, uh, is, uh, uh yeah, <laughs> kerning, right? But like, this is a bit, this is big text. You can't read it from here, but you can see, oh, there's some space, you know, it's comfortable to read. I love your passion for this, Brianna. I, I do. Um, for those of you, you know, Brianna has said contact an expert and she very rarely said contact a Beha. So I'm going to give a shout out for a <laughs> Brianna Clean COO with a Beha Solutions. Those of you listening. Thank you. Of course, that's A-B-E-J-A solutions.com. Um, and again, abeja means bee, like a bumblebee um, in Spanish. So thank you for doing that. And, and also we have your business partner, Laura Ingalls on in a couple of weeks talking more about donor pages. So I just love anytime Julie and I get the opportunity to nerd out. And that's exactly what you did today. So <laughs> of course you showed up and uh, on this Monier, and I'm so glad that you did, Brianna. I also want to give a verbal shout out to our amazing presenting sponsors that allow these conversations like the one we just had with Brianna. So thank you so very much to Bloomerang, American Nonprofit Academy, Fundraising Academy with the National University, Nonprofit Nerd, Your Part-Time Controller, Staffing Boutique, and the Nonprofit Thought Leader. These companies stay with us each and every day to bring these super nerdy and relevant conversations to <laughs> our viewers and our listeners. So thank you for joining us, Brianna. Thanks thank you for having me. Yes, thank you so much. And to all of our viewers and listeners that joined us, the time goes by so very quickly, but I do want to remind you to please stay well so you can continue to do well. Have a fantastic day and I'll see you all back here tomorrow.